uh, communion over here, so I know most people, when they see that, they get nervous and start repenting. <laughs> That's a good thing, repentance is, but, you know, I just want to mention that to you this morning. Just in case you hadn't repented, maybe you could. <laughs> but we will, uh, at the end, we'll have communion with the Lord. We went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Remember that word, angel. Okay, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, remember that word again, angel. Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall not drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's a, that's a lot quick. Um, Anyways, some of the things that I feel about John the Baptist, uh, like I mentioned last week, is I have, a, have long felt that John the Baptist's ministry and what he said was, is very important. Um, so I'm a, I consider myself to be sort of a student of John the Baptist. And what I want to just take a little bit of a different thing and tell you uh, that John's job was to make the people of God ready for the Lord, to prepare them for the Lord, the people, the prepared people to, to get them ready. Now, in our United States military, they have something they call a state of readiness. That's, and they have these measures, how they measure the military to see how well they are able to wage war. And they have measurements that they use. And they, there's many different things, of course, like do you have enough ammunition to have a war, you know, to be able to shoot at the enemies. And is your, are your guns in good working order? Um, do we have enough people to fight this fight? And what are the state of the people? What are the state of the soldiers? Are they good psychologically? Are they healthy? You know, are they ready to go to the battlefield, in other words? Are they properly trained? Um, have they had the right training to be able to go out there and endure what they're going to have to endure? Uh, do they have food? Do we have a way of feeding these soldiers? Do we have a way of getting water to them? Do we have a way of communicating to them? They look at all of these things to see in the, a state of readiness. Can we go to? Can we launch and wage war? And so I think if we look at Elijah, or, or the spirit of Elijah, if we look at John the Baptist, I think from his life you can glean some things that can tell you what your personal state of readiness is. In other words, your state of readiness where, where, you know, if God called on you in a moment, uh, you know, what if God called on you in a moment to go meet Him in heaven? Would you be ready? I mean, that's the question. Everybody needs to get that one right right away. Uh, but there's other things also, just, just in case He doesn't call you to heaven today. What if He calls you to something else? Are you going to be ready when He speaks to you? When you hear Him, are you going to be in a state of readiness? Are you, are you with me? A state of is anybody here in a state of readiness this morning? 
I mean, seriously, are we ready for whatever God may bring our way, for whatever God may have for us? Well, I think from John the Baptist, we can glean things that will help us be ready. Amen? And there's several of them, and, you know, I want to talk about three of them, possibly this morning, maybe just two. Um, The first one is angelic activity. Okay? Angelic activity. Now, if you go through the Bible, let's, you know, you don't really hear many people preaching about angels anymore, honestly. Uh, but if you go through the Scriptures, it's really astounding how much angelic activities are found in the New Testament. Astounding, really. And so I, I just picked out a few. And let me tell you, there are, this is a minor, this is like 1% probably the scriptures, I, but these are sort of the ones that that I thought were, were really good. Matthew four eleven. Then the devil left him, speaking of Jesus, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. That's the first thing. Jesus needed angels to help him while he was on this earth. So to me, we could not read any more scriptures about angels and say that's good enough. If Jesus needed angels, we need angels. Is that right? We need angels to serve us and help us. All right, this is something Jesus said in Matthew 18.10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, little ones are young children, so what are you talking about? Their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, he was saying these, these children have angels that are watching over them. And those angels see God. And he was saying, be careful how you treat children <laughs> because of the angels. Hebrews 1.7 And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. That's what they are. They're spirits. They're flames of fire. Messengers of fire. Servants of fire. Servants meant to serve us, to help us in our life. Uh, Hebrews 13.2 Let's figure, is there a stranger in here this morning? Possibly you're an angel. I guarantee you every church has been visited by angels in the form of looking at outwardly flesh and blood that they've came in our midst and we didn't know we had an angel sitting there because it says do not forget to entertain strangers for by doing some have unwittingly entertained angels hey you know that's a good thing to be hospitable you know because they may be angels that God has sent to you here's a here's a profound one the mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. In other words, every true church has an angel or angels assigned to the church, just like the little children have. These angels are watching over that church. These angels are there to help that church, to serve that church. It's pretty profound, isn't it? All right, here's some situations that happen in Acts. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. These were the apostles who had been arrested for, for uh, you know, preaching the gospel and healing this guy. So an angel got them out of jail. There's an angel serving. All right, here's Philip. Philip the evangelist down there preaching the gospel, having a big, big time in uh, Samaria. And, and now an angel or the Lord spoke to Philip. Now here's an angel talking to a person. Angels can talk to us and we can hear them. Angels can talk to you. 
An angel spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go towards south along the desert, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. And of course, you know the rest of the story. He ran into the Ethiopian guy, led this man to the Lord. The angel talked to him. He heard him speak to him. All right, here's another one in Acts 12. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. Peter's in prison, and a light shone in the prison. He struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Put your clothes on, basically, <laughs> and uh, follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know what was done by the angel was real. He didn't, he didn't think this was real. He thought maybe he was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord, and they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. So you see, here's an angel that got him out of prison. It's interesting to note that this angel did everything that Peter couldn't do, but this angel did tell Peter, you know, you need to get dressed. <laughs> In other words, don't expect angels to do stuff that you can do. You know what I'm saying? If you can dress yourself, if you can't, then they'll, they'll dress you. But they, they will do things for us that are impossible. But they will ask us to do things that are, that are very possible for us. Now here's Paul. He's in a mess. Here's another talking angel talking to Paul. There stood by me this night an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, of, afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. Indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Those are words of, of an angel. That's a word, a word from an angel talking. So Paul had this angel helping him, telling him, you know, this is what's going to happen. Don't be afraid. And then Paul went, and this is when Paul was on the ship, and they were at, at storm, and then he went and told the people, this is what's happening, because there was an angel that told me this. I mean, can you imagine if a person walked in and said, the angel told me to tell you this? You'd probably think they were crazy. Or you may be just a nut, a, a nut enough to believe it. But we've really got to see that God has these, these things, these beings called angels that He wants us to see. They're real and they're meant to help us. They're our servants. Okay? This is interesting. In Revelation verse, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show His servants things which must shortly take place, and He sent and signified by His angel to his servant John. In other words, this whole book of Revelation was given to John. Now, okay, it was given to John by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, but by the hand of an angel. In other words, he just didn't, he wasn't just sitting somewhere and started having these visions. There was an angelic be, a being that came to him and began to speak to him. And see, what we, I think what the church, what we really need to do as Christians is we need to wake up to the fact that God has these angels and they're here for us. They're here to serve us. They're here to help us. They're here to prepare us. And this is not craziness. This is not charismania. This is not being off the rocker. This is what was in the Bible. If Jesus needed them, needed angels, if Paul needed them, if Peter needed them, if Philip needed them, if they needed them, my gosh, why don't we say we need them? You know what I'm saying? Why don't we say, Lord, where are those angels that are in the Bible that showed up and spoke and did things? Where are they, Lord? We need them. We're asking the angels to come and help us. Why don't ask God right now, God, send me an angel to help me. I've got things in my life that need it. I need help. Send those servants. Man, we need to do that. I believe it's ours. Now, we don't need to worship angels. We don't need to pray to angels. None of that kind of stuff. Although I will say this the Apostle John almost worshipped an angel in Revelations. Because the angel was so phenomenal. 
that he fell at his feet, and then the angel said, don't do it. You know, only worship the Lord. So we're not to worship angels. We're not to pray to them like we pray to God, you know. But I believe we can actually say to angels, we can speak to them, listen, I don't know, I can't see you, but I know you're here. I need you to help me right now. Help me. You're here. That's your job. Serve me. Help me. I need a help in this situation. I need to be plucked out of this situation. I need financial help. Go get me some money and bring it to me. You know, seriously. I need a job. Go find me a job and take me to it. You sent them to serve. You know, why should we reject the very thing that God has given us because we don't really understand it or we can't see it? I believe, you know, if we're going to really be made ready, we need angels operating in our lives. That's my point. Point number one. Amen? Y'all with me? Good. All right, point number two. Um, let's get this one, man. This is, this is really powerful. Um, not like you ain't heard it before, but, you know, of course, last week I mentioned to you that, that, the name, that John's name actually means God is gracious. That's what the meaning of the word John. And, of course, like was said, the angel is actually the one who named him, not his mom and daddy. Hey, looking for a name for your child? Ask, Lord, I need a name. I can't think of one. How about send the angel to tell me what that child's name? That'd be cool, wouldn't it? That would be very, very powerful, really. Um, so, but this is really important here. John's name means, you know, the graciousness of God. John was a very, very much an expression of grace. Okay, we, we really need a revelation of grace to be made ready. We, need a, we really need a revelation of grace. Most people in the church don't, do not have a revelation of grace. Most people in the church have an understanding, a mental understanding of, of grace, but they don't really understand what real grace really truly is. And, and this is the way, and, and this is the revelation that you get when you read the story. It says that John the Baptist's parents were old people. That's what it said. They were advanced in age. They were righteous, but they were old, and they didn't have a, a child. That's really what it said about them. In our day and age, if you don't have a child, that's not a big deal. Right? I mean, lots of people choose not to have children. But in their day, to not have a child meant there was something wrong with you. In other words, from the Old Testament, one of the signs of, a, of the blessings of God on a person's life, that God was pleased with you and liked you and was happy with you, were children. And so people who had a lot of kids were considered to be very blessed people and very righteous people and very, you know, godly people. So here's these, this old couple that had served the Lord all their lives. And that's what it said. It says, in the, and from the Lord's perspective, he was saying they were blameless people. They were righteous people. But they had this contradiction in their life. And the contradiction was people would say something like this. Well, you know, there's got to be something in your life, some secret sin in your life. Because if, if you, you know, if you didn't have that secret sin, you would have a child. That's why you don't have any kids. It's because you're, you're a sinner. And can you imagine the people talking about them like that? Yet, the, that's not the record of the Bible. The Bible says there's righteous. They prayed. It says your prayer is heard. But God waited a long time on them people to quit trying to have a baby. In, in other words, He waited till they got to the point where there was nothing left for them to have a baby with. In other words, they were too old to have babies. Old people can't have babies. Women go through menopause and, you know, and all that kind of stuff, which 
whatever that does to them, but makes them mean and, you know. So they'd done all that, you know, and the man was an old man, you know, and probably just tired and probably had, I'm sure they had given up. What you say? Grumpy old men? Yeah. In other words, their natural strength, natural strength had come completely to an end. It was exhausted. There was nothing else left natural for them to have a baby with. You know? And that's really where grace, that's how grace comes into a person's life. Grace comes into a person's life when, nat- when you have completely come to the end of yourself naturally. When you have exhausted your resources. And you don't have anything else left to give. It's impossible for you to do it. It's impossible for you to have a baby. Lazarus, Lazarus is dead, Jesus, you know, or Lazarus is dying, and Jesus waits and waits. He's in the grave for four days. Gets there. He's dead. If you'd have been here, you could have stopped it. He wasn't too concerned. He didn't open the grave. No, he stinks. You know, they didn't embalm people back then. He waited till there was nothing human and that was what he was trying to say. And that's really what God does in people's lives. That's how grace gets here. He brings you to the place where you are totally, completely exhausted, naturally. And when you're at that point, and I'll tell you something, that point does not come easy. It's not a decision that, well, I'm just going to be completely exhausted. Because we have a lot of fight in us, a lot of natural strength in us. And I've said it before, a person talks about sin. They'll say, I'm not strong enough to stop sinning. The real truth is, that is not, that's not true. The real truth is, no, you're too strong. That's why you can't stop from sinning. You're still too strong. You haven't come to the end of yourself. You haven't given up. You haven't laid down and said, Lord, it is impossible for me to not sin. It is impossible. The only way I'm going to not sin is by the grace of God. And when that's when a person can come into living a, a, a holy and spotless life. It is not by our own effort. It is not by our own strength. And we will never be ready until we come to the point where we are absolutely at total surrender within ourselves and realize, I can't live the Christian life. And let me tell you, God will keep bringing you to that place over and over and over. You will say stupid stuff. And God will say, well, we'll just, let's just, let me give you a great example. This is a terrible, bad example about myself. But... I was thinking, you know, this thing about uh, counseling people is, I can, I can really do that. And I said that in one of the CSM classes a few weeks ago. I can just do it. I have a gift. I can do it. You know, I wasn't saying it in an arrogant way. I was just saying it because I'd seen God do it over and over and over in me. Well, the next day, I got in a situation where this person was talking to me, and they really were in a desperate mess. And I could not, it was like, and I, I went in as confident as day on, you know, rooster in the hen house. Like, yeah, I can help you. Come on, I'll help you. I know I can help you. I know I can. So I was sitting there, and they were talking, and I couldn't concentrate on what they were saying for nothing. I would start thinking about other things, you know, thinking, man, I'd, you know, it'd be nice to be on the golf course right now. And, you know, just thinking, and I kept, ah, oh, i got to listen. And then they'd say stuff, and it would seem confusing to me. And it's like, I'm in a mess here, Lord. I'm in a big mess. I can't help this person. What is wrong with me? And I heard the Lord say, I thought you said you could counsel. <laughs> and I said, I can't, Lord. I really can't. I realize what the Lord was saying. No, I can't. I can't do this, Lord. 
I'm really sorry I said that. I was wrong. So I'm saying to everybody in the CSEM class, I repent of that statement. But once I repented and said, I can't, then it was like suddenly the light came on. Suddenly I saw the answer that I was looking for. You see what I'm saying? We can't. That's what really grace says. Grace says you absolutely cannot, but He can. And when you will stop trying to do it, whatever it is, and let Him do it, then it works. But it never, it always comes to this. It always comes. God will wait on you. He'll see you working your little self off. He'll just stand back and say, go ahead. You know, do it until you can't do it. Do it until you're in a jam and you feel like you're desperate. And the grace of God works. It works always, all the time. And we never get to a place in our Christian walk where we're so mature that we don't need the grace of God. As a matter of fact, the more as you grow as a Christian, the more you realize how much you need the grace of God working in your life. So it starts by coming to a place that you are totally exhausted within your own resources. And you can find it all through the Bible. It's everywhere in the Bible once you begin to see it. And my prayer for you guys is this. What you just heard is the absolute truth. But if all you heard it with is with your mind, it hasn't helped you one bit because it will only help you is when God makes it real, a revelation in your heart. And when He makes it a revelation in your heart, then it really becomes a reality in your life. So you, if you do not have that, you may have an understanding of it theologically, but you should ask the Lord, give me a revelation of grace, Lord. And He will. He will give you a revelation of grace. And when you get a revelation of grace, it, that's when it really works. An understanding of it does not cause it to work. It's only by revelation that it works. It has to be by revelation. Because if it's based on your understanding, guess who it is? It's you. But if it's based on revelation, it's Him. Amen? And so, so that's a, the, a second thing that we need. We need angels, okay? And we need grace. All right, the third thing is... Uh, I'm going to jump out and give you another scripture. And there's several of these things in here, but the third thing is prophetic ministry. Okay? Prophetic. This is what Jesus said. Uh, Matthew 11, verse 9. It says, uh, Jesus said, What did you go out to see? A prophet? Question mark. And yes. That's what Jesus said. Yeah, he was a prophet. But I say to you more than a prophet. In other words... See, this is where I got this, this message from. I read that and thought, wait a minute. He was a prophet. What about that? What's, what's Jesus talking about the other stuff? So I went back and started looking at it. It's like, oh, yeah, there's where the angels came from. Uh, there's where the grace came from. But one of them was prophetic, that John was a prophet. And he was a, you know, a guy who moved into prophetic ministry. So uh, let me read. This is, everybody knows this. Uh, if you don't, you fix and know it for the first time. I don't know where everybody in the room is on the prophetic, but the prophetic is definitely something that we need to, to go after. 1 Corinthians 14, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Okay? Especially that one. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, 
but he who prophesies edifies the church. Now, tell me, that's not going to get you. That's going to get you ready if you're edified. Edified means build up. It means charged up. Okay. I wish you all spoke with tongues. Okay. Anybody who has a problem with tongues, you have a problem with the Bible because that's where it says. Right. I wish you all spoke with tongues. But even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless he interprets that the church may receive edification. All right. I want to just throw this one little thing in here, okay? Verse 5. This is not a mess. I'm not trying to talk to you about speaking in tongues, but and you can get any person who's really an, an expert in the Greek language, they would tell you that verse 5 there in most Bibles is, is not translated very good from the Greek. It really should read like this. I wish you all spoke with tongues in order that you may prophesy. You got that? I wish you spoke with tongues. In, in other words, what Paul was saying is tongues releases prophetic. He wasn't saying... I'll tell you this. A lot of people use, you know, this. In fact, I was talking to a Baptist friend of mine this week about these, and I was telling him what I, what, how I perceive these to my understanding of these scriptures. He says, "All my life, I've taught, saw those scriptures as being a negative against tongues. I've never saw them as being an exhortation for tongues, and that's what they really are. And we could spend some time on it today, but I wish you spoke in tongues so that you might prophesy." Amen? And that's what that was, that's the way the real Greek... And so you may have an issue with tongues. You may have problems with tongues. You know what? It's not biblical for you to have that problem. It's, it's you who has the problem. It's not a biblical issue. It's, it's a personal issue. So I think what we've got to do is, is, is see that in our heart. But, um, you know, the real point here is if we are really going to be made ready, we need a release of the prophetic in our lives. We really do. And that's why Paul says you've got to really, you know, earnestly desire. Go after it. Pursue it. Find out about the prophetic in your own life. Because God wants to speak to people. And He wants you. He wants to speak things to you so you can speak things to other people. Now, um, since we're running out of time, we'll stop there. But I did have one more thing I wanted to share with you. Um, which sort of goes along with the prophetic. But this is something I feel like God wants to get people on this morning in particular. Um, the verse is therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands Paul talking to him talking about stirring up the gift of God okay every person has a spiritual gift every person has something spiritual in them Here's, and this is really this, this will this is something God's this is a uh, very um, subjective word I feel like God has for us this morning this is what happened to me this week. I went on this uh, retreat with some pastors. Spent three days sitting around a bunch of pastors and eating and praying. Supposedly praying, but you know, we were doing some of that. Mainly having a good time. Um, but we went out to eat one night at the Daniel Boone Inn. You ever heard of Daniel Boone? You should go there if you're a big eater. I ate, it's one of these places, home style, they take you and they give you as much food. I mean, you have to be drug out of there. I mean, fried chicken, country fried steak, gravy, mashed potatoes, green beans, corn, ham biscuits, slaw. I mean, I was in pain. Strawberry cake. <laughs> and I tell you what, man, it was 13 bucks. But I said, they're gonna, I'm going to get every bit of that $13 out of there. They're going to regret it. Well, I ate them into the ground, and I ate probably more than anybody. These guys, some of these guys were big old, big old pastors, big, you know, big guys. They should be able to eat more than me, but... 
I was going toe-to-toe with them. So we have this big meal. And then we go back to the cabin where we're staying, and we have this really nice fireplace with a fire in it. You know, so after you eat, you sort of get real, you know, just relaxed. And we were praying, and the Lord was really in the prayer. The presence of the Lord was in the prayer. But I was sitting there, and I I was on the couch, and I had a chair. I had my feet up in it. I was very much what I would call in a very unguarded, relaxed position. Okay? Had no guards up. Didn't feel a need to pray. I was enjoying what other people were praying, which is unusual for me because I don't usually enjoy listening to other people pray, to be honest with you. I struggle in group prayers because I get so... Do what I was doing then. I was daydreaming, you know, about things. I would think about something else, and I think, oh, we're praying, let me get back to this. And, you know, because what I was daydreaming about was not a bad thing. It wasn't sinful, but it had nothing to do with spiritual things. It was all natural stuff, okay? I'm not going to tell you this, what it was because... Certain people would fuss at me. Anyways, it was recreational stuff. I was thinking about recreation, okay? So we're sitting here praying, and, and the Lord's moving, and one guy just prays this very passionate prayer. It was really sweet. The Lord was really on this guy. And then there was this pastor sitting in the room. Right after he prayed, he said, Byron. I said, yeah. He said, do you remember the time you came to my church and preached? and minister to people prophetically there. I said, yeah. Yeah, I do remember. He said, that was awesome. That was really awesome what you did. Those, you know, that was, the words you gave was really the Lord, and the prophetic ministry was as accurate as it could be. I was thinking, yeah, you know. I mean, I wasn't really thinking anything. Then he said, and this guy, I had just heard him the day before rebuke the fire over this guy who prophesied something. He says, that is not the Lord what you just... And he's one of these guys who judge the prophetic. He does it on the spot. You know, if you go to his church and prophesy and he don't think it's right, he'll stand up and say, I don't believe that was the Lord what you just said. So he's not, you know, he's a take names later kind of guy, in other words. You don't mess with him, you know. Um, so I felt like he was really being sincere. He wasn't just trying to mess with me. But he said, I want to ask you two questions. And he, I said, Okay. And again, I wasn't thinking. He said, when was the last time you did that? And when he, it was like, literally, somebody took a cup of cold water and threw it in my face. I felt this tear run down my face like, uh. It's like, oh, no. I said, uh, well, it's been a long time. That's what I said to him. And I was just sitting there thinking, he said, well, he said, now, would you be willing to minister to us like that right now? I said, uh, <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh man, I don't know, Lord, Lord I have not, I'm so blank. I don't have nothing, Lord. I, I'm so blank, it is ridiculous. If they knew what I was thinking about, they would throw me out this room. <laughs> I have zero, Lord. Zero. I have nothing. I don't have anything to say to anybody in this room. So I, was, I sat there for a, a long, uncomfortable time of silence. I mean, a long, uncomfortable time. And finally, I heard the Lord did say one little thing. And the one little thing was, just tell them that my ear is attentive to the prayers in this place. So I just said, well, um, the Lord wants us to know that His ear is attentive to the prayers in this place. So 
people start like, yeah, they got, you know, let's pray then, you know, let's really go after things and pray. And everybody got into their personal issues. And then he said to me, the guy did, after everybody prayed, he looked at me and said, stir up the gift that's in you. And I was rebuked by the Lord. That's the way I felt. I felt like I had been chastised by God. Um, because I had said earlier in the day, we were riding back from the restaurant, I said, hey, I want to ask you guys a question. Y'all are pastors. Y'all preach all the time. Has, have any of you ever just lost your desire to, to preach, to speak? No, we have. Why? I just sort of don't have a desire to do it anymore. That's what I said to them. Well, sorry, can't help you. That's what they said to me. So I went away. I'm just being real, real, trying to be real here. I went away from it, feeling like the Lord admonished me about stirring up the gift that was in me, and I thought, I wonder what that really means, stir up the gift in me. And when I thought that, I sort of imagined the fireplace that we were setting before, and the fire that was in there, but you know how fire gets. It dies down, and ash goes over it. There could be some coals down there, under there, but no fire, no, no real fire. You can get some smoke out of it, who needs, you know, smoke's no good. So I went home and looked up that word, stir up. Because I went, Lord, if you're telling me to stir up the gift of God in me, how in the world, what does that mean, stir up the gift of God? And what it really means, this comes from uh, Vine's Expository Dictionary of Biblical Words, copyrighted in 19, 1985 by Thompson Nelson's Publishers. Okay. It means to, to kindle afresh or keep in full flame. It is used metaphor, metaphorically in 2 Timothy 1.6 where the gift of God is regarded as a fire capable of dying out through neglect. Where the gift of God is capable, not that you lose the gift of God, but the gift of God in you dies out through neglect. And I felt like the Lord was saying to me, you're neglecting what I've put in you. And it's starting to, to die out in you. And it was like, oh, I, didn't, I don't want to do that. Especially when God speaks it to you. And I believe there's people in this room that you need to hear this, what I just said to you about the gift of God in you. Is you're beginning to neglect the gift of God in you. Now, I know this. There are seasons in all of our lives, just like, you know, in any athletic contest where the coach says, hey, come here and sit down and rest a minute. Get on the bench, rest, get some air, get refreshed, and we'll get you back in the game. There's those times. But that's when the coach says to it. I think some of us have just thought, I'm just tired, I'm discouraged. I'm, I'm stopping. And maybe some of us didn't actually think that, but little by little, because here's what happens to me. This, I'm, You want to be honest with you? Every time I look at something that I feel like God's speaking to me to share with you, I thought, nobody wants to hear this, Lord. This is nothing. People heard all this stuff. Nobody wants to hear it. Why should I say it? And I look for excuses. I just want to find I don't want to do it. Nobody wants to hear it. I didn't feel bad. I was happy God would speak things to me. I just take them for myself. I just thought, nobody wants Do you know what I found out? That wasn't the Lord saying nobody wants to hear that. It's a devil. 
the devil, saying, that's irrelevant. Who wants to hear that stuff? You know what I'm saying? And slowly but surely, something that God has put in you, you begin to sort of neglect it. You begin to sort of forget it. Or maybe somebody says something to you and it hurts your feelings. You know, maybe you got your feelings hurt. So, hey, I'm just going to stop. Or maybe you got disappointed in the Lord. You know what I'm saying to you this morning? God has put a gift in everybody. And I think He's saying, you, you want to really be ready? You need to stir that gift in you. Now, I will say this. I think on the prophetic side, as I say to the Lord, this has gotten too easy, Lord. I can, I can put my hands on anybody, Lord, and you start showing me stuff. At one, you know? Oh, we'll show you how real easy it is, Byron. <laughs> Duh, you're going to sit there and be uncomfortable because you can't do it, going back to grace. You, you know, see, we can get off in many ways. I guess that's the point. I think that's how I got off with the prophetic stuff. This is easy. I can, I can give a word over anybody I want to. Almost at will, Lord. Well, we'll show you how much at will you can do it. You'll just be sitting there humiliated in front of your peers, so to speak. But I think we all have gifts. And I think God is saying to you, stir up the gift in you. Stir it up. Don't let it be like a fire that's dying. Amen? So what we want to do is end because it's late. And I want to pray. Lord, I just want to ask you for everybody in the room this morning, every person in this room, if they know you as, as their Savior. If they don't know you as their Savior, Lord, we pray that they would be very convicted and, and cry out to heaven for salvation. And I want to ask you, Lord, that you would um, help us, Lord. I pray for every person in this room that they would stir up the gift this hour. Not with their own strength, not in their flesh. They really would allow the grace of God to flow in their life, even in their spiritual gift, and allow you to move in their life, Lord. They wouldn't listen to the wrong voices or wouldn't take things wrong. Or, mm. Lord, I just pray for them right now. I pray for the wounded and hurt in this room that have shut down because they got wounded and hurt and disappointed. Just pray for them right now, Jesus, that you would heal them, Lord. I pray you'd heal them right now, Lord. Just touch their hearts and speak to them. And Lord, I pray for wisdom, real wisdom, heavenly wisdom, not man's wisdom, but real wisdom from heaven on how to apply, stir up the gift. Lord, we don't want to go out like a bunch of half caught idiots trying to do something that you're really not asking us to do. But we want to give you a chance to put wood on the fire this morning. Put your wood on it. Pour your oil on it, Lord. In us, Lord. We open ourselves up to you right now, Lord, to do that. And Lord, we pray you'd show us where to let that fire burn and where to let that fire roar. How to let it burn and roar. Lord, we pray you'd send your angels to us to help us with this this endeavor, Lord. That they would come and strengthen us and touch us. Lord Jesus, help the healing along. Fix us. Lord, that we wouldn't be a people who have withdrawn in battle. 
Lord, or this hour that we live in. 